Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. Somebody tell me, what is more Portland than a food cart? With over 500 carts citywide, they're easily the beating heart of our food culture. They're also a lot cheaper to open than a restaurant, so they help keep our food scene diverse and innovative. But an Oregon law about managing wastewater went into effect in Multnomah County on January 1st. And many owners are saying compliance is not only too expensive, but it's nearly impossible. Some are even shutting down completely. So today on the show, we have Brooke Jackson-Glidden, editor for Eater Portland, to discuss what's behind the new set of food cart regulations and what it means to our already embattled food cart scene. It's Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is CityCast Portland. I'm still trying to understand what the issues are behind these new regulations. Brooke, could you give us the rundown? What? The issue has been and sort of like why this emerged is people are a little concerned about the safety or the potential risks of contaminants from these basically these wastewater tanks. So wastewater is basically gunk that, mm-hmm. that you would use when you are cooking or whatever. So what goes down your drain, basically. And, you know, if you think about what goes down your kitchen sink, it's some gross stuff, right? So where's it going now? Like, how are they getting rid of it now? Yeah. So currently, I will say, or perhaps before the first, Mm -hmm. there are sort of three ways that people get rid of it. Yeah, before the first, I mean. Right. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Right. A lot of carts, they have wastewater tanks, like, on their cart. Um, These are pretty small, right? Because you're dealing with you know, this mobile kitchen, it's, you know, just essentially this tank that that has to be emptied. There are some carts, and especially in the fancy ones, like really nice outdoor seating areas and maybe fire pits or whatever. Sometimes they have like sewer hookups. So a food cart can just straight up tap into a sewer, empty Mm -hmm. their water that way, which I mean, frankly, is probably the best solution for everybody, but it's really expensive. The third option and what has worked for a lot of cart owners historically are attaching themselves to these big cube-like tanks. If you've been to a food cart pot, you have probably seen these. They are like big, square, plastic tub-looking things. The benefit of them is kind of obvious, right? Like you're able to store more of that wastewater so you don't have to get it emptied as much. Mm -hmm. And it's not as expensive for a landlord or for a cart than actually getting a sewer hookup in their pods. So these tanks have been used pretty frequently, but the Department of Environmental Quality and, and OHA have been sort of generally concerned that there is some risk of like contamination or, you know, either from like water that's that comes out of these tanks and then gets into the Willamette, mm-hmm. um, or just even the food scraps in the water attracting rodents. It's kind of unclear how frequent this issue is, right? I've been doing digging. I've been trying to get a hold of people at like DEQ or OHA to kind of get a clearer idea of like- Like why they're like, all of a sudden- How frequently was this happening? Right, 100%. Yeah, yeah. But 
you know, they wanted this to happen. So this went into effect. OHA has been really trying to get in touch with food cart owners and try to get people compliant. And you mean like OHA's Oregon Health Authority? Yes. That's who's uh, enforcing this. Right. The phrase they use, I think, in the in the actual policy is integral to the unit, right? So is this something that is straight up on your cart that you can empty that way? Yeah. The wastewater cube thing is not integral to the unit. It's something you're just attaching. But gotcha. whatever your onboard wastewater tank, like it has to be there or it has to be a sewer hookup. And those tanks are small, right? People are going from emptying it maybe once a week, sharing it with other pods, you know, these big cubes to like, oh, I have to empty this every day. And the actual sort of policy surrounding how you're emptying those tanks, who is qualified to empty those tanks, how much you can empty yourself mm-hmm. if you can't get a hold of the people who can empty these tanks. That has been really difficult for people, just the actual feasibility of, of doing this at this point. Because there wasn't really a market for it, is what I'm hearing. Right. Yes, 100%. So basically, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. there were like two people who could do this in Multnomah County, right? Yeah. And the city didn't foresee any of this or didn't think that maybe like, hey, we're going to ask a lot of these already kind right. of, you know, cash... Uh, deficient, <laughs> right. you know, business owners, and we're not going to really offer anything. We're just going right. to say either you do it or you're out. Yeah. I think, you know, the city or really the state, you know, what what they've been communicating to the food cart owners or people that have been advocating for food cart owners is, well, this hasn't been an issue in other cities. You know what I mean? In other counties across the state, this has been easy for people to get compliant. Really? But the difference is we have way more food carts than anywhere else exactly. in the state. So how is this all affecting cart owners that you're seeing or you know, yeah. people trying to get into the business? It varies. I think certain people are deeply impacted and it has been really hard to watch. Um, Poppy Sells, which was one of my favorite carts, um, they basically closed uh, because they had tried to find these pods. Their first pod, it was a better setup for them because it had a sewer hookup, but it was way more expensive to rent. How long did they last? You know, I'm thinking about two years. So they, um, they had two years of being yeah. in business and yeah. they were doing well, like people liked their food. and Yeah, totally. Yeah. They got great reviews when they first opened up. This was a, a really popular cart. And they found this spot they really loved, mm-hmm. which was going to be next to a brewery tap room, which awesome. that's become way more popular. But, you know, it doesn't make sense for a, for a brewery to put in a sewer hookup for a cart that is not really even a part of their business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so they just didn't provide that. Right. So I think that was an issue for them. Meliora Pasta, another new cart, I, if I remember correctly, it, it wasn't a full year that it was open, also closed because they were in conflict with their landlord at their pod. It was like, we need to do this. We know that this is coming. And then, you know, food cart pod owners are also like, man, I, I don't know if we can afford to do this, you know? I mean, how much is it? Um, You know, it varies depending on how many you need, yada, yada. But we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like, oh, here's uh, 700 bucks or right, you know, right, one-time right. fee. No. To get in a sewer line, that's a huge deal, right? But also you have to like commit to that area. Like that's another mm-hmm. thing about food carts. Food carts are mobile. They move around. It's interesting. You'll have carts that are completely mobile. Like Alchemy Sandwich Co. I think they do not have a pod. And there are some people who stay one place every six months or whatever. You know what I mean? They'll find a pod, like it, move. And there are people that stay in the same pod for years and years. So for a place that's like, okay, we're going to be in this pod for the next like five years or whatever, it makes sense to get like a a sewer hookup. But I think that there is also this issue of a lot of 
sort of the birth of food cart pods and like a huge part of how they kind of developed in Portland is that people just had lots. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They had like a parking lot or they had space. Yeah. And they were like, and we're lacking that. Yeah. Right. And so we'll we'll use this space in a way that's really cool that brings something interesting and fun to the neighborhood mm-hmm. by taking this sort of unused parking lot and making it something that feels more vibrant. And the people that maybe have those lots maybe don't have the capital to go, okay, we are going to build in a ton of infrastructure into this unused parking lot. So then Mm -hmm. it just becomes an empty lot again. And I think that's the other thing that needs to be a part of the conversation as well, is that there is an element of privilege here and disproportionate impact because that lower barrier of entry, which was a huge part of the reason that we were able to have such a diverse and interesting selection of food cart pods, how many immigrants open food cart pods as opposed to other businesses. There's no way Nong's could have survived right. or thrived. And for those who don't know Nong, uh, she's a Thai immigrant, mm-hmm. right? Who just mm-hmm. came through, opened up her own cart, sold the chicken that her mother made at home, and people fell in love with it. She's like on all of the cooking shows. Yeah. It's such a success story that could have right. only happened in Portland's food cart culture yeah. pre-pandemic before all this stuff. And let's just talk about all the factors now that are discouraging people to open a cart. Not just the city's new rules that I think are good. I mean, they're good intention. I understand. Like when people are just like, hey, let's have health safety. Yeah, no one's against health safety, right? Like (laughs) we're not against health safety. We're not like, boo. Yeah, Uh, I want food poisoning. Yeah, like of course not. No, we're against how it's going about. Okay, let's take a little break here. And when we come back, let's talk about all the other forces that food cart owners have been battling trying to stay afloat. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because there's just so much other stuff being stacked on top of like food cart owners. So that's when I start feeling a little dramatic and I'm just like, are they going to go extinct? Because let's just talk about that like extreme weather. Remember all the carts had to close down in the summer because they're just like, sorry guys, like we don't want to die. Or like when they were frozen, they're just like, sorry guys, it's frozen. We can't operate. And and like you said, the lots, they're closing down. They're now becoming condos or whatever. So they're displaced. I mean, part of the reason the food cart pods worked so well earlier in in Portland's sort of food history is because this is a climate, admittedly a rainy one, but one that's pretty temperate. If it's like 50 degrees outside, that's kind of decent for a food cart pod because it's going to be hotter in there. They're cooking and stuff. It's a small space. Um, when we're dealing with extreme temperatures, when we're dealing with, okay, pipes are now frozen. People are in giant parkas in these carts. No one is coming out. And then it's, okay, now it's the summer. It's extraordinarily hot. It is getting to like 150 degrees inside this cart, which is incredibly dangerous for any worker. Mm-hmm. And also equipment fails. And, you know, again, it's something that I'd want to emphasize and and I just think is so important about this. 
if there is something that is special about Portland's food scene, it has to do with that lower barrier of entry. It has mm-hmm. to do with the fact that we have ways that chefs can explore and try things out and do stuff and innovate. But when, okay, now you're a food cart owner, now you're spending way more money on just upkeep. You're closing way more. You have to pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars just to empty these tanks. It just gets to a point where it's like, this is no longer... A, a low barrier of entry. It's a pretty high one. I do think that that is going to cause some real issues beyond food carts. Like that's going to cause some issues with the scene at large. The food scene at large. Yeah. You're yeah. thinking less restaurants are going to open? I do. I And yeah. it's interesting. I talked to a food cart owner this weekend, someone who I had known was going to open a restaurant, right? And mm-hmm. his perspective on it was very much from the place of what we've been talking about, which is mm-hmm. like, it's not something we can really sustain. Um, so, you know, he was shopping kind of casually and now he's like, I can't do that either. It's now way too expensive for me to open a restaurant. The market's just completely wild. So, okay. If I can't afford to open a food cart and I can't afford to open a restaurant, what does that mean? Does that mean I close? Because that is not a good sign for us. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're known for. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think, and also that's what I miss the most when I leave Portland is our food scene. So what does the future of Portland's food cart industry look like to you? Yeah. The thing that I hope I see happen, because I, I don't think that all food carts are going to close, we're going to lose the scene. I think that, okay. God, God, I hope not. I think there is space for people to, again, like invest in these sort of better set up food cart pods. I think I'm a big fan of the Little America pod um, and what they've been doing, which is very much in the subsidized space of like, we want to make sure that these businesses are the businesses disproportionately impacted by like the financial barriers mm-hmm. um, of, of this business. Doing it from this very deliberate perspective of how do we make this sustainable and how do we address issues within the industry. If more pods like that open, I think that we will be in better shape. I think that the most frustrating thing for me is that I don't think that the climate stuff is going away anytime soon. So, you know, it's just going to get worse. Right. So I think that figuring out how we can make that more sustainable for food cart owners. So places don't have to close. I think that is going to be really, really important. I really, really hope that we see also just more kitchen incubators, these sorts of places where maybe it's commissary kitchen. Yeah. Like a commissary kitchen that has a more front facing sort of, Mm-hmm. way for people to interact with it. Like the Portland Merc- Mercado one? Yeah, totally great example. There's one that is sort of opening right now called Lil Dame, which is in mm-hmm. north northeast Portland. Just these sort of spaces that allow, okay, so food carts are just not tenable. What's another low barrier of entry way for for chefs to experiment gotcha. that is going to maybe be more like climate controlled or mm-hmm. at least sustainable? So what could like Portlanders, lovers of food carts, mm-hmm. do to support the existing food carts. Yeah. I think, first off, go to food carts. This is a time of year in general for the restaurant mm-hmm. industry that is famously hard. Like the diet culture stuff, the, <laughs> God, yeah. you know, people decide the, the holidays are expensive. They don't want to go out to eat. So January tends to be a an incredibly difficult month. I would encourage people to, to talk to their public officials, their representatives. Um, a lot of food cart owners have been pushing for an extension on this specific issue with with the wastewater tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, contacting OHA to sort of talk about, hey, what are our ways that we can kind of support this or, or make a little bit of wiggle room for these carts? I think if you are someone who is a, a major fan of a specific food cart, interact on social media, comment, like, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. It feels very silly to say, but this is a time where we really want to make sure that people are aware of these places. 
it's just making sure that people feel supported and yeah. that we're making sure that we show that we value this part of our food scene. Well, thank you, Brooke, again, for coming down and sharing a little bit more of your world. It's funny because I, I thought the story was just going to be about food carts because I was I am like sincerely worried about our food cart scene. Yeah. But now that you gave us some breaking rumors, I'm now concerned and worried about our entire food scene. So that's cool. Here to deliver a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> really, really giving Debbie Downer uh, this morning. I didn't want to have to continue on Brooke's bummer delivery, but we do have some sad news to share. Blazers fans are mourning the death of legendary broadcaster Bill Shonley who died last week at age 93. The man, known as the mayor of Rip City, was the team's play-by-play voice for nearly 30 years. He's the guy who came up with the phrase Rip City. Bill, you will be missed. Our condolences to his friends and family. And Oregon is launching a new service for people who need advice about seeking an abortion. OPB reports that the Oregon Reproductive Rights Hotline will offer free legal advice for anyone who has questions about abortion access. This could help a lot of people after the Dobbs decision last year to overturn Roe versus Wade. So if you or someone you know needs help, now you can call 503-431-6460 and someone will get back to you within 48 hours. If you'd like to hear more about what's happening in our city, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by leaving a review or recommending the show to a friend. We'll be back in a few days with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.